This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. We're live here, folks, at Netroots Nation, and this is uh, this is actually Friday, but this is a Friday edition of Thursday Coast. It works. It works. Whatever. It works for me. <laughs> How many years Netroots Nation? Oh, first of all, of course, I'm assuming everybody knows, but everybody knows that. We don't have to introduce him. Marcos Melissa's the founder and publisher of the largest online progressive community, Daily Coast, the, um, as well as the founder of Civics with a Q, the host of the podcast, The Brief, <coughs> but also the, the founder of, of this. Not quite. The Netris Nation was originally Yearly Coast, which was a product of my community. So daily, it emerged from Daily Coast. Um, I helped raise money for it. I gave them the name at the beginning. So there's a lot of support, but it wasn't officially, I didn't have any money back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like I could I could own anything. So, but it was it was a desire of the Daily Coast community to have something in person, and that was 17 years ago. And this thing is still going strong. Kind of amazing. Hey, that, was, that was my next question. It's been 17 years. 17 years since 2006. Wow. I was I couldn't. Somebody asked how many years I've been coming. I said I don't know. I was at some of the earlier ones, but I don't know if I I know I've been to every one, but I can't believe it's been 17 years. It's been 17 years. The first one, my son was two years old. He uh, he started crying during Harry Reid's big keynote address. Uh, he is now almost 20 years old. He is serving his nation in uniform right. in the Middle East. Yeah. So we've all grown up. My daughter, who's here, You're right. you just met she's uh, yeah yeah she's uh, 16. She was four months old the last time we were in Chicago 16 years ago. Wow. wow. That was the last time she was at a net station. She was four months old. She's back and she's uh, <laughs> she's been awesome. She's a master debater and she's uh, she's soaking this stuff up. She loves it. In, in your opinion, has Netroots Nation changed or grown or anything yeah. like that? It's dramatically changed. You know, I had a political reporter today ask me, there's no big names. <clears throat> And I, and I was like, good, because you know what? There was a, the original, when I started this thing 20 years ago, not this thing, but, you know, Daily Coast 20 years ago, everybody wanted to talk about nothing but presidential elections, right? It was about Howard Dean and John Kerry and then Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And Republicans were winning school board races, judicial races. They were focused on the grassroots, ground-up operation. They had a you know, corporate funding operation. They had think tanks to support their candidates. They had Rush Limbaugh and Fox News to support them on the media. We had nothing. 
And our people only wanted to argue about the presidential election, which was a tiny fraction of the entire political world, right? And so, yeah, so you're having, you know, presidential candidates show up. That was a big deal for people because that's what they really cared about. I remember, yeah. Now we got Justin Jones today. He's keynote. Yeah, that, yeah. to me, is more exciting than, say, Kamala Harris or, or, or Joe Biden showing up. Because... This is showing that we as a movement now care about state-based organizing in supporting our great progressives at those lower levels. And the culmination of this was just a few months ago when we won that Wisconsin Supreme Court election by 11 points in the most 50-50 state in the country. We only had to go back three elections in that Wisconsin Supreme Court. A Republican ran unopposed. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, we're finally as a movement realizing that the power is right. at the bottom right. and it bubbles up. Yeah. And so, I, what, I mean, Joe Biden showed up great. Like, I wouldn't hate it. If, yeah. if Kamala Harris wants to show up, fantastic. Yeah. I'm excited about Justin Jones. I'm yeah. excited about the guys that are doing this work on the ground. I was excited yesterday, the keynote address by Eric Adams yeah. and some of the local, uh, the new uh, DA. Um, Fox? Was it? Kim Fox. Yeah. You, you said Eric, you mean Brandon, Brandon Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh my God. Did I just say Eric Adams? No. Opposite. That's like, like Bizarro World, Eric Adams. Holy shit. Oh my God. That's so, oh my God. I can't believe no, I did good. that. So, yeah, absolutely. And and it's showing even the power, the power where organizing at the state level, it matters whether you're in a blue state, because Chicago's dramatically upgraded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're in a red state, somebody like like Justin um, Jones. Is it? Is it red state? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Doing what he's doing and, and building awareness on gun safety and organizing in Tennessee in a red state. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the battleground states. Everybody pays attention to those guys anyway, right? So, right, right. but it matters everywhere, and and so that's what's exciting to me. So the conference has evolved away from just focusing on like who the president going to be I mean I can't tell you how many network stations I came to that everybody wanted to talk about was just Bernie Sanders says Bernie Sanders yeah, that, I like, remember, yeah I remember and, that. and like okay great we're past that now yeah and nothing I'm not saying nothing against Bernie <laughs> right, Sanders of course, right, I'm right. saying now people are talking about Justin Jones they're talking about organizing in the states they're talking about that grassroots and what it means and why policy matters and what that policy looks like and things like eliminating cash bail in Chicago that's exciting stuff. Well, and not only that, people aren't just talking electoral. Yep. You know, I mean, electoral, you know, overlaps with everything. Yep. But there are other issues here that, that are not just election year <coughs> issues, not just necessarily ballot issues, and also conversations about how to get certain issues yep. on the ballot. So that bronze it mm -hmm. a lot more too, doesn't it? Uh, no, absolutely. Politics matters. And a lot of times, I mean, people talk about why why, why should I vote? You know, my vote doesn't matter. People like Brandon Johnson winning in Chicago. That's a big deal. He will show why it matters. Yeah. Even between Democrats, because we had a Democratic mayor before, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not just even a question of Democrat versus Republican. It's upgrading the quality right. of the Democrats as well right. and why that matters. And if people start seeing those tangible results in their lives, then they're going to be more like, yeah, okay, this voting stuff actually, it matters. Not just in abstract, I got to vote against Republicans, but I can actually make my life better by, by engaging in the vote. Yeah, you know, that, that makes a big difference. You are introducing the keynote. I am, I am launching the evening, so so there there's uh, today the focus is on state organizers, state based organizers, oh and the the final keynote is is uh, is um, um, 
like I just forgot to say that. I'm talking about yeah, Justin. And um, but there's there's gonna be some other people in there um, that are talking about state-based organizing as well. Tomorrow's we will focus on federal elections and federal office, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be uh, moderating a panel of Congress people. Okay. So okay. I'll be doing that tomorrow. Today I'm gonna just be sort of set the stage, and I'm gonna be talking about what I just talked about. How it is absolutely critical. It's how exciting it is that we as a movement now have moved away from just focusing on the presidential election to all these elections that matter so much and eventually feed up and support that president. So did you see this report that came out? I think it was in the New York Times. So I don't know how credible it is <laughs> that the GOP turnout was greater in the midterm. Yeah, that thing is hilarious. So what, what's up with it? It is the dumbest art. It's literally saying that GOP turnout was higher, right? Okay. And that's supposed to be a warning sign. We won. You're we right. won the election with higher Republican turnout. What's that mean? That some Republicans uh, maybe didn't vote for Republicans. It means that independents swung heavily in a Democratic way. Yeah. And it means that next year, when we actually have presidential year turnout, which means much higher Democratic turnout, Republicans are in real trouble. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. it was. It was. It was. It was like bizarre world political analysis. Like it made no sense. If Republicans, if you lose an election, and you more of your people turn out than the other party that's the warning sign <laughs> that's what you can't win with the majority of the vote turnout um, that's if the shoe was on the other foot they would say what dems in disarray yeah that yeah. was their favorite thing and and really they said that you know when they when they would say that obama had a, it was electoral but he had a super majority yeah. and didn't get things done oh democrats have failed yeah you're right so how is it that they can have higher turnout and still lose yeah how's that the democratic's problem yeah i mean literally literally the opposite i read that and i was like that, yeah i thought i thought i thought turnout was more even but if you're really telling me that more democrats i mean more republicans turned out and democrats still won we are in good shape moving into yeah. next year yeah yeah one, one would hope so one would one would think so Folks, we are here at Netherlands Nation. Good to see uh, Marcos. Uh, again, this is uh, 17 years. 17. Wow. And, and in terms of what about the person asked you about elected officials, which is, I mean, that's a silly question. Not, not no big names. I don't know what big names. But since something, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Mark, who decides who are the big names? You know, I yeah. mean, to us, Everybody in here is a big name because we know them and we know the importance of the work they do. Some folks, some people's issues are big, even if their names aren't up in lights, and that's okay. They're getting people elected, Mark. That's what I'm saying. That's and, okay. And recruiting candidates. And, right. Yeah. So who decides who the big names are? But the question I really want to ask, in terms of of the participation and, and the turnout, um, is that as big as it's always been in terms of actual people being here? And I know we have people watching virtually too. Yeah. So I, I can't. I don't know. I haven't heard. I haven't even asked what the overall numbers are. Right. Just from my unguided, it looks like a lot more people here from last year. And last year was that weird COVID transitional yeah, right. year. And I think there's still a lot of people that are feeling COVID safety, you know, right. sensitive. Um, so, but I mean, turnout looks fantastic to me. I mean, it looks yeah, pretty it. active. And, and it's, you know, the sessions I've been to have been pretty packed and, and, and there's a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, it is uh, very young. Yeah, and I think part of it is when I started, I was like the cohort, like the, my colleagues were like the young people. The young people. 
and my cohorts now run organizations and they're sending their younger yeah, staffers something? here to learn and so it, it's weird because I'm seeing less people that I recognize uh -huh. and a lot of people don't recognize me anymore like in the early days it was a whole different scene I'm so glad I'm not complaining like I right, can actually right, like sit right. down and take a breather and, and right. like not be uh, have people come up and talk to me but it does mean um, everybody's getting younger which means sort of the movement there's like a new generation coming up and that younger generations are also a lot more diverse a lot more black and brown and, and Asian and, and so to me it's kind of exciting seeing I'm not gonna say it's a it's a passing the baton quite yet because yet. you know my, my cohort still I mean we're in the 50s like 50s 60s we're, you know people are still they're running things yeah but it's now nice seeing that there's this next wave coming up below us that are gonna that are gonna inherit this movement uh, and uh, and I think it's gonna be in good hands so that's exciting to me notice folks he said his cohort he didn't include me he said he didn't say our cohort mark so he still <laughs> counts me with the young people right. you didn't say our cohort so I appreciate that that's what the friends are for <laughs> That's what friends are for. Well, man, this is great. Uh, congratulations. A lot of great conversations, folks. And again, um, you know, I know many of you have been watching virtually, uh, which is a good thing. I mean, we're one thing that the pandemic did, it taught us the importance of maintaining a virtual presence because everybody can't, you don't need to miss out on something just because you can't yep. physically be here. In terms of the so quote unquote big names and electeds, I mean, we know they're going to show up next year. You have to turn them away yeah, yeah. next year, but but um, be that as it may, uh, this is still a worthwhile conversation and, and I, I think the takeaway from this as well as this conversation is in fact the importance of the down ballot, the importance of the locals, the importance of the state races, the importance of the issues, not just the big uh, national races and the big names big names and lights. Yeah, I think part of it is that they try to compare it to CPAC, right? Which is just a bunch of oh my God. politicians preening in front of the you know conservatives and it's just... And screaming at each other. This is a working conference. Yeah. People here are learning how to do the work that gets Democrats elected and quite frankly, I think we're doing a much better job of it than they are, so this model works. But I would rather have us working on the nuts and bolts of how to use tools to win elections, how to more effectively talk to voters, how to talk about the issues that people care about than, than to sit down and just watch people talk. We can, I can, if I want to see Joe Biden speak, I can go on YouTube, I can go on like online and I can find a Joe Biden speak. Like yeah. I don't need him to come in and say the same stump speech That's right. to us. Thing. Like teach us something that we need to learn. Does CPAC even have workshops like these? And folks, if, you, if you're the, watching, the frick knows? behind us, this is the town square. This is where you have different organizations, different services. I mean, there are conscious, progressive-minded businesses here, investors, people who actually, you know, help raise money for some of these important issues, technology firms that, again, you may not have heard of, but are progressive and geared toward the progressive audience. And so they're all here as well. So you see all of these folks and it just shows you how, how broad and diverse it's, it is. It's evolved quite a bit on that front. As it gets younger, it, it, younger, it, yeah, people of color, yep. women, LGBT represented. I mean, and that's reflected in all the panels and the workshops. That's what Ned Roots has always been, and, and glad to be a part of it. Where are you heading now? I'm gonna visit with some of these other folks here on Radio Row and, and uh, you catch got up. Radio Row again, yes. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I gotta, I'm gonna find an hour to just keep practicing my uh, my 
my speech for the uh, keynote block later this, this evening at 4 o'clock. You really have to practice. I, it's, I already have it up here, and I've got it memorized, and I know what I'm going to say. And uh, it's going to go fine when I give it. But every time before I give a speech, I have this other idea that this is the time I'm going to crash and burn. So the more I practice it, the more I, the more I like lock it in, the more the calmer I will be when it's time for me to go on stage. It's I'm a vlogger for a reason. Like this, <laughs> this is this I, this is not what I signed up for. I'm going to be very honest. I am most comfortable in front of a computer with the. Uh, warm glow of the monitor on my skin. I mean, that, that's, like, being out you know, with humans is, is, is uh, it's a little more difficult, and being on stage is, is, uh, most difficult at all. But, you know, I, I've evolved in 17 years, too, so I've gotten okay. more and more comfortable with it. Okay. But still, it's part, I gotta, like, I gotta practice and I gotta, like, feel like uh, I have it locked down. Because um, I, I don't read off a script. It just doesn't work for me. It looks, I, I, don't, I can't pull it off. I can't make it look natural and dynamic if I'm reading off a script. So it's got to be off the top of my head. It's got to be extemporaneous yeah. And, yeah. and all that. Okay. Or at least we're, pretend to be extemporaneous. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm trying to help my brother, y'all. We've got to give him some, some preaching skills. <laughs> I would so, love that. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work. In a, in a, a little, add a little fire. Honey. Yeah, I don't have a lot of fire. And then he can fire. be extemporaneous and, you know, bring it like that. So. Absolutely. Man, so thank much. you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. All right, Nebrus Nation, y'all, here with our good friend Marcos for a special edition of Thursday Coast on a Friday. Uh, live from Nebrus Nation. Yeah. Thank you, man. Talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Talk next week. Okay, yeah, take care. I'm going to talk with a couple of organizers doing important work. Uh, a, a guest who's been a guest before uh, with us is Carol Joyner of Family Values at Work. How are you? Uh, Family Values Action. Got it. Okay, wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So what brings you to Netroots Nation and what are the issues you're working on these days? Have you been on any panels and talking about some of the issues you're involved in? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I try to come uh, as much as I can to Netroots Nation to think about the moment we're in in terms of organizing and bring the conversation of care um, to, to this sort of forum. Um, we work on paid family and medical leave, paid sick and safe days, child care, and we're trying to take the work at Family Values at Work Action, we're trying to take the work to the political space that it belongs in. The majority of people in this country support paid family and medical leave. They support these issues in polls, yet, and despite the fact we've gone through a whole pandemic, we still do not have a standard in this country for care. So people are struggling and they're left to the, their own devices. And the, just really quickly, the panel that I was on uh, this morning, we talked about um, the intersection of care and the lack of abortion access. And we called it inseparable because those two issues really are inseparable. You can't ask people to be forced into pregnancy and deny them the care that right. they need at the same time. Um, George Bush, I'm sorry, George Bush, Joe Biden yes. <laughs> is, is, in, is in, yeah, no, I'm, is in NATO. Yes. All the other countries in NATO have a stand, the kind of standard you're talking about, right? Absolutely, yes. So how can we be in an organization like that and get, be an agreement about every other thing, let's say 99 things, but the United States, who is the leading country over there, be in disagreement about this one thing? Most countries have had access to paid family and medical leave, or right. at least paternity leave or, or maternity leave for the last 40 years. The United States stands alone amongst its economic peers and not having any leave. And in this country, what we're facing 
is a two-tiered system where the very states that are denying access to abortion are also denying access to care. But the 14 states, including D.C., because technically we should be a state, right. the 14 states that have passed paid family and medical leave also have codified Roe and abortion in their state legislature. So we're, we're setting up a situation where some states are free and some states simply are not. Some states are not. Introduce us to this uh, freedom fighter from Georgia we just introduced to me too. This Would is you? my sister, Delinda uh, Bryant, who's with 1,000 Women in Georgia. Tell us a little bit about the work that y'all have been doing to turn Georgia blue. Well, actually, I'm with Auburn Voters Coalition, and what we do, we specialize in rural voting. Rural voting is different from any other voting that I've came in contact with. Um, you have people that don't have IDs, you have people that's illiterate, you have people that don't know the process, so that's why we're there. We're educating them, letting them know that you got power in your votes, and that's the only way you can let be known. So how's that organizing going in terms of, of you, and you're in Albany, right? I'm in Albany, Georgia. Um, it's going great. Um, we helped turn Georgia blue. Um, Albany had been a Republican town forever, so we turned that around, um, especially with runoffs. We had like 1% of vote participation. Since we've gotten in there and energized people, we awesome now. Really? Yes, sir. Because you know Albany is known, you know what Albany is known for, right? Yeah. Crime. No, no, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about historically. You know, that's what Dr. King met his yeah, match. Um, Y'all ran Dr. King out of Albany. No, it wasn't us. <laughs> it was Pritchett. I, I, I chief for police Pritchett did yeah. that. But, uh, and also, um, I hate to say this, but our pastors was divided as well. Mm. So now we're at a point now, a turning point, I hope. But we, we, we're finally getting it together. That's, that's another blessing. Well, congratulations. So what, is there one particular area that you're devoted to, that you work um, on? I do 26 counties. I'm a little different. Um, I do all the rural, rural areas, which is called the second congressional district. Most of those people don't have internet services, so they're not informed. So when you go soliciting there, houses like a block apart, so it's, it's kind of difficult. But we, we have I asked her name the one thing she does. She said, I do 26 counties. Uh, so so, so when, you, when you say, though, that you do 26 counties, so what do you do? When you go, you go door to door, no internet. So what do you, when you go see someone, what are you, what are you asking them to do? And, and I, I, presumably, these are folks who, who just not voted and haven't been voting at all. They're registered voters. They're registered voters, uh, uh, most of them. But they're misinformed. They think once the primary is over, that the voting is over. So we've been educating them and letting them know that, no, that's just the first step of it. And most people thought, well, we voted for him, and he's in office. No, he's not. And you also have runoff. So our biggest problem is informing Okay. I just want to do a plug because your workshop yesterday, I don't know if I should be looking here or there. No, you your 
work, okay, your workshop yesterday was really informative around rural care. Um, we're a network of 17 state coalitions, many of them are in rural communities, and I just don't think we have an appreciation for rural organizing that no. we should have. No. And the idea that it costs more money because people had, y'all literally had to double the price of your gas cards when prices went up, right? And in rural organizing, it's not like canvassing in New York or D.C. where you're on foot. You're in your cars, and the next house on your list could be what? A half hour away. Yeah. You know, it's really complicated. Um, and I also think that it's there's a misnomer that it's all kind of like white working class or poor people living in rural communities. And a lot of black and brown people yeah. are returning to rural communities, but also have always been there. Yeah. And we've got a knock on those doors. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, one my pet peeve is the hospitals are, are closing now. When you're that far away from the hospital, you have a high fatality rate. Of course, of course. So we're, we're working to get right people in places where the hospitals are not closed. You know, you're talking about 40, 50 miles away from medical attention. That's detrimental to our community. Yeah, I, I never could understand that. People being that far away from the hospital. Well, they've recently started shutting them over yeah. the last couple of years. There yeah. weren't some hospitals, yeah, right? This is relatively down. a new phenomenon that they're shuttering hospitals in communities um, that in rural areas. Yep. So the counties that that you're knocking on doors in. Are you are you out canvassing mostly black voters or black and white for everybody? I'm not partisan. I canvass everywhere. Where the hell let me? In some areas, uh, we get run off, but in most most occasions, we're in um, black communities. Black communities. Black and brown, and the brown people they're afraid because a lot of them are non-documented. So. All I can say is we're going to keep on fighting. And when you're non-documented, how do you get around? Because Georgia requires the voter ID too, the photo ID. Yes. So how do you get around that? You can go and get your voter's ID. Okay. And, you know, you can't vote if you're undocumented. The other thing that was striking to me about your panel was the acknowledgement that now that we've won these two, Democrats have won these two Senate seats, and, and the presidency, thanks to the rural area, and also some of the urban sectors as well, that there's a tremendous backlash of folks and that people are afraid in some ways of canvassing, afraid that folks are going to retaliate against them at the yeah, doors, absolutely. they're angry because they see that it's this kind of grassroots canvassing that have turned the wow. state wow. blue. Wow. And so when when there are, like we were canvassing in Georgia and there were signs on the door that basically said, we have a gun, mm. do yeah. not knock on this door, wow. or do it at your own peril. I mean, things like that. When you face that and you're a canvasser, it's very dangerous. Intimidation is very high, not only with... Um, other people, it's, it's with the churches as well. Um, if they're not supporting that candidate, they are afraid even to put yard sales in the yard. So it's a lot of intimidation and we're working through it. It's better than it was when we started and we want to just continue this work. What's your website? It's www.albanyvoterscoalition.com. God bless your work.
Thank you're doing you. the Lord's work. You know that, right? That's who comes. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to keep going if I have to go by All myself. Right. Amen. Amen. We love you for that. Carol Jordan, your website. www.familyvaluesaction.org. Uh, Family and it's just, just a pitch for people to fund both rural organizing and care yeah. because those issues are really important for our right, families. Right. Absolutely important in rural Georgia where yeah. they don't have any medical assistance, no medical clinics, no convenience care. They have to drive for hours just to get help. And the fatality rate, I'm going to say it again, is very high. God bless thank you, you so much thank for this. You. Thank Appreciate you. For, thank you for being with me. Yeah. All right. All right. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. As you all know, my uh, uh, one of my favorite issues and been an issue I've been in fight for all my life uh, is for my hometown, Washington D.C. and, and D.C. statehood. Uh, Bo Chef is here, the uh, executive director, is that right, of D.C. Vote. Yep. Uh, Bo, how long have you been in D.C. Vote now? Uh, seven years. Has been there long? It has. Time it flies. Has. How are you, man? I'm well. How are you? It's good it's to see you. It's good to see you again. So what's the latest with DC? But where are we these days? Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time moving forward on statehood. Uh, we passed it through the House twice. Right. Got a little stuck up in the Senate, uh, and, it, and it stopped a little bit. And now, unfortunately, we're seeing the backlash, right? Anytime there is progress towards a goal, there is always a reverb. Right. Uh, and that's what we're experiencing now. With the new Congress that was elected, we are playing defense. Of and we're seeing all kinds of legislation introduced to try to overturn local laws local spending, change how we do business in the district. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, honestly, there was a situation with the mayor, and there was some legislation that the city council passed. She went to the Hill, and some people argued that that was a violation of home rule. Did that kind of thing set us back, you think? I, I think that that is a perception or an interpretation of what the mayor did that some people like to place on the mayor. I don't know that that's fully accurate. The mayor was not in favor of the legislation. She vetoed it. That part's true. But I didn't see that the mayor's team was up on the hill lobbying against it. So okay. I don't know that, that that holds all the water. Okay. Um, I don't think it set us back. What I do, th I think we are in a backlash at the moment, but not yeah. against that piece of legislation. We are in a backlash against our own progress from two sure. years ago. Sure, sure. Uh, I think that uh, at the end of the day, we should be deciding our own laws. Sometimes we're going to like them, sometimes we're not. And we have the ability to hold our own members of council and our own mayor accountable if we don't like them. But that's what the underlying principle should be, and I don't think that part has changed. I think that our statehood supporters in the House are still our statehood supporters in the House, our statehood supporters in the Senate are still a statehood supporters in the Senate it was a tough vote it was a it's a gonna be an election issue um, but and, and we felt a little abandoned by some of our former allies mm. um, but it is it was a tool
school of those running for office to run for office. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess the setback is we, we're all the way up on statehood, and now it's a question of just getting our local laws not being state yep. respected and, and held up. Yeah, I mean, the home rule battle's been 200 and some odd years old, yeah. and they've overturned laws in, in different right. times. And we just, even yesterday, yesterday evening, the Senate passed the D.C. Appropriations Bill. The Senate, which is usually strong for us, uh, it still included the rider preventing marijuana legalization, and it still included the rider about local spending on abortion. So even right. in the in the chamber that is normally uh, more in favor of D.C. autonomy, we saw two bad riders pop yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's always been important, and obviously that's why you're here. You know, we've got to get representatives from other states to support us. The best way to do that is to have people who vote for those representatives right. living those ways. So it's important to be in places like this to advocate yep. for D.C. statehood and home rule. Yep, we're all, and we're trying to do more all over the country. Uh, we're, we have an event coming up in Los Angeles. Uh, Kelsey on our team was just in Atlanta. I'm here, I was just in Minneapolis uh, talking to folks in the 3rd Congressional District. So we're we're trying to do more and more outside outside the district. But this Netroots has always been a really strong, important spot for us. Uh, we have a great film we're showing tomorrow called Higher Power, and it's a fantastic telling of how the cannabis and statehood uh, issue, issues intersect. Really? How so? Uh, well, you know, like I mentioned, the Senate just left the writer about marijuana on. Uh, so we aren't allowed to legalize cannabis in the, in the district, even though our voters voted for it. We're yeah. prevented by, from the federal government. Yeah. But it didn't outlaw it either. We're in this weird, gray, wild, wild west kind of area. And so this film, Higher Power, talks about how that is having an impact on, uh, on D.C. and especially how it's having an impact on black and brown residents in D.C. Yeah. No, that, that is an important intersection, and that, that should be appealing to yeah. a lot of people. You know, as the, can the concerns about cannabis, so the support for the cannabis industry continue to grow. Right. So that's good. That's just very wise. Bo, how do people keep in touch with you at DC Vote? What's your website? Follow us everywhere at DC Vote. Where it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's DCVote.org. Every single thing is DC Vote. DC Vote. All right. That's who I was in Minnesota with. You're Minnesota you, with this sir? young man? wondering about DC vote. What do you think about DC <laughs> vote there, Bo? I'm kind of in favor. Yeah. How do you, how how do you, do you think? think? Well, I think DC vote is just great. I was in Minnesota recently, Rev. You were. Yeah, you just, just happened to be there. You just happened to be there. This guy named Bo Shuff shows up in Minnesota convincing Minnesotans DC statehood is key. And here we are, a two-hour plane ride, a 24-hour car ride, and Bo is convincing everybody that DC statehood needs to be at least their top three priorities. So this guy is persuasive. We're, we're everywhere. So he's effective. It's good he to does see a you. good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's on message, as they say. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's what it's called. Thank you, both. That's true. Thank you. Good to see you, buddy. Keep yep, up the great work. Okay, all right, well, all right. Well, your your timing is perfect, man. How are you, brother? Oh man, couldn't be better. Come over here so I get you get you in frame right here. There oh, there you we go. There you are. How, how are you, man? You know I'm good, man. I'm feeling good and happy, and you know, um, Netroots does pick me up. You know, okay. much, much like being with the NNPA. That's right. That's right. You know, you're around people who care, who who love justice, love right. mercy, love right. democracy, and it, and it has an inspirational effect. And whatever challenges you have, you're like, well, they're they're getting down. Maybe I can get down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I yeah. feel about it. Yeah. Well, and 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 you're a pick me up as well, um, folks. Of course, uh, uh, the. Well, if people watching us know who you are, but let me appropriately introduce the Attorney all General right, right. of the state of Minnesota. You Hello, know, folks. I didn't mean to be informal, but this is my brother, too. And we've right. known each other for That's years. Right. So, That's right. Um, he was the keynote speaker at the NNPA convention in Nashville. That's right. 
uh, a we had new a good book time. out, uh, Breaking the Cycle. No, Breaking the Wheel. Breaking the Wheel, I'm sorry. Breaking uh, the wheel. Ending the Cycle of Police Violence. That's right. Breaking yeah. the Wheel, Ending the Cycle of Police Violence. Folks, get it. <clears throat> and, and it chronicles what happened during the George Floyd process. It does. Process, which was successful. Uh, and what I started to say, the reason you're a pick-me-up is because how many attorney generals are like Keith Ellison? Anywhere, you know. Well, you know, we got some. We got a few who are good. No, I know, I know. I mean, you know, like Tish James, of course, Top yes, Shelf, Kwame Raoul, love him. Aaron Ford. We used to have a guy in D.C. Uh, by the name Carl Racine, who That's was right. out yeah, of sight. Right, right. So, and, and then we got some folks like, um, you know, a new a new woman named uh, Andrea Campbell in, in Massachusetts, brand new AG, but she's coming up strong. Okay. And so we got a few folks who I really love working with every day. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that is important. And it's also important. I remember when Kamala was, I'm sure she said Vice President Harris, you know, it was a group of people running an operation, beating up on her because yeah. she was a prosecutor. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought we said we wanted people to look like us in law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. We can't go back yeah. to not having nobody it's true. invalidating people like, who look like us in law enforcement. So, right. I mean, that's the importance of, of somebody Absolutely. like you being there. Well, you know, you really don't want a system uh, where you have nobody from your community has any impact on it at all. Mm -hmm. That means they just do to you whatever they want to do you. Now, it is the case that if you get behind a candidate who claims that they represent the values of your community, they, you got to hold them to that when they get hello, there. Hello. So, like, when, when in my what I'm doing is we started a conviction integrity unit because mm. we don't want nobody in a Minnesota prison who is innocent. So we this is like an innocence project, but this is a prosecutor-led program. Wow. We've had several people released because we were convinced that they were innocent of what they were convicted of. We also support second chances and we have a statewide expungement program. I mean, you got a prior record, you know, as long as you fill the criteria, we'll help you get out. We also, I'm on the pardon board. So I just say that because it's not all lock them up and throw away the key, but when you're sitting with a mom whose 16-year-old child has been shot down and murdered, mm. And she is inconsolable. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, you want somebody who cares about her pain. Yeah. You want somebody who also cares about the community and how, you know, uh, one of the things about black communities is that we're over-policed but under-protected. Hello, yeah. So, you, you said that, that's your matter. People yeah. forget public enemy song 911 yeah. is a joke. They forget about it. We over-police, but also when we call for help and service, yeah. ain't nothing happening. Well, there's this attitude of... Uh, well, who cares about what they right, do? Let them right. kill each other. There's this, there's this attitude right, like right. that, and 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 I think if you have somebody with our our community sensibilities, mm -hmm. that we 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 believe life's precious, yeah. and and you know, uh, you got all these uh, cities, municipalities where you have like 1,700 rape kits untested. What does that mean? What are you mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. When you won't even test the kit, the woman says she's sexually assaulted, mm -hmm. and you won't even test the kit. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so you know, we're here to right. fight again. We're gonna, we believe you. We're gonna test the kit. We're gonna see what. We're gonna get to the bottom of it. Our state just started a uh, a task force on missing and murdered uh, black women. Yeah, and we also have one on indigenous women. Mm -hmm. So we're mm -hmm. trying to make sure that the lives of women and girls who are abused. Uh, in the sex trade, you know that they that they are not ignored and they're not forgotten. Yeah, they we're going to do something about it. So in that, in, the, in 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 those types of areas, how do you work with local law enforcement? Yeah. Are they cooperating? Yeah, yeah, they are. But a lot of them, you know, see, look, man, there's a, there's a lot of crimes on the books, right? Yeah. And so the question is, what's your priority? Mm. Um, 
if we don't ever prosecute environmental crimes, then the officers are not going to investigate environmental crimes. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. clearly people, you know, financial exploitation, you right. know. Right. Um, and, and when it comes to missing and murdered women, a lot of times it's, it's like, well, that woman has gotten involved in a life of uh, being a sex worker. Well, mm -hmm. we say not voluntarily. And even if she was, she doesn't deserve to be right. killed. Right, right, You right. know. Uh, and so, you know, we work with law enforcement and we just tell them this is a priority. We work with them on training. We work with them on making sure that this is a top shelf, not a bottom shelf issue. Each jurisdiction, each state is different. Each yep. state has its own laws. I wonder, though, in, in what you did with the George Floyd case. Right. Is there anything that is that you were able to do or implement or put in place, apply, that is across the board sure. that other jurisdictions could do today in those types of cases? Well, yeah, first of all, listen to the victims. Listen to the affected people. This is one problem with um, prosecution generally. And that is when you are a crime victim, a lot of times the prosecutor will say, we're going to decide what the charges are. We'll get to you when we get to you. Um, and victims often feel alienated from the process. Listening to the victims is very, very important. The other thing that's generally applicable is make sure that you get solid medical evidence. The medical examiner is not supposed to be backing up what the police say or what the prosecution says. And if you know that the, the medical analysis uh, is incomplete, uh, make sure you go get the information to complete it. Right, right, right. Make sure that your complaint, uh, which is your charging document, uh, supports the charges. When the the original complaint in this thing was not, in the Floyd case was not filed by me. It was filed by the county attorney. Within that document, there were a lot of things that I thought were um, insulting and unfair to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. You know, so we had to redraft the thing and file an amended one. Um, and so there's just a lot of things that came up. Make sure you defend the reputation of your of the victim. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something that's generally applicable. There, but you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't hear. About, I mean, if you're a victim, like George Floyd was, we shouldn't hear all about uh, how you failed your eighth grade spelling test. Mm -hmm. You know, so now we got to hear about how Trayvon Martin smoked weed when he was 16. Mm -hmm. What's that got to do with Zimmerman murdering him on the street of his own neighborhood? Right, right. Literally nothing. They wanted to talk about George Floyd. Oh, he had fentanyl. They wanted to talk about he's big. Oh, he's six foot four, two twenty. That doesn't mean just because he's a man of size doesn't mean it's okay to kill him. Right. You know right. what I mean? It's that doesn't justify excessive force. So these things are all generally applicable. But the main here's the most generally applicable thing: be honest with the people and pursue justice. You compare, you know, the Floyd case with the Breonna Taylor case. In that case, the the attorney general literally uh, went to the grand jury and did not put the charges and the facts in front of the grand jury then after they did not issue an indictment comes before the public and says well the grand jury decided not to indict the grand jurors then sought uh permission from the judge to say we want to be heard because this man is lying on us yeah this man daniel cameron is lying on us he said that we didn't indict but he never put the facts or the law in front of us in order to indict yeah so that's so we get into so what's generally applicable what what is what can what are the learnings of the floyd case one of them is 
be honest with the people, vigorously pursue justice, never put yourself in a situation where you're letting people commit crimes uh, and they're not accountable, which is what Derek Chauvin committed a crime. Right, right. It's, right. You know, and, and I believe that if you have a shooting gallery into a woman's home where she's unarmed, you don't even know. You know, then that's got to be at least some form of reckless, recklessness, manslaughter, something. Got to be something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to think about that. And and I know, you know, a lot of times people's emotions say, "Well, let's go all the way to first degree," but you got to get something well, in that a, which you can in that which you can prove. That's another generally applicable lesson. Yeah. Don't overcharge the case. Yeah, yeah. Charge which the facts can prove. People say, "Why don't you charge first degree murder?" Because I don't have first degree murder facts. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I yeah. need evidence a witness on premeditation and deliberation somebody said why don't you charge a hate crime because i don't have somebody who's going to say there was a racial word used there was a there was right, some right. i don't have a witness that's going to say that so you start overcharging the case i'd say it's better to win second degree murder than to lose first degree murder yeah, and, and that's where you got to prosecute cases you know, and, and that's yeah. what's important yeah uh breaking the wheel ending the cycle of police violence that's it mark uh folks check out the book and you know again we've got um a progressive prosecutor doing this and then writing a book about it all right which may as well be as far as i'm concerned uh, a textbook and a template for others to follow for our law schools especially our black ones since they're not going to let a lot of us go to law school no more because of affirmative action. But, <laughs> you know. Hey, that's a whole nother, that's, that's a, another show, uh, Rev. We got to do a whole nother show on I that. I mean, that's, that's, even that's deep, man. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's like they're going back to the Dred Scott or the, the Taney Court or the Plessy Court. I mean, that's well, what they're. Yeah. I mean, so like, just to take a second on that, let's take it on back to 2013 when they did Shelby County. Right, right, right. Gutted the Voting Rights Act. Then they said, Big giant corporations could put as much money in as they want to in the Citizens United case. Yeah, yeah. Then the Bruin case says guns here, guns there, guns everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. Dobbs, women don't have a right that's to right, that's So right. what we're seeing now is a retrenchment, yeah. taking away rights from people. And I hope everybody is getting up and alert. And I'm glad that you're on the case because, brother, this show of yours is educating folks. Thank you, man. And I want to say thank you for it. Thank you, brother. I always love you, brother. Keith Ellison, you, man. man. You are a man. Mark Thompson, y'all. And us brothers got the orange shirts. Yes, we do. Coordinated. Doing what we gotta do. You better right. know it. All right, man. My brother. Take You're care, man. You're the best. Thank you, brother Keith. All right. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Folks, we are here at Netroots Nation. And Moms Rising is uh, in the house. Here, you hold that. Um, well, you can hold that. I'll hold this one okay. for her. Kristen? Tell us what your role is with Moms Rising, please. I am delighted and honored to serve on the Moms Rising team. And we have over a million members. We have members in every state in the nation. And we are rising together. Wonderful. And what is, I can see your name. What is your name? My name is Jada. I'm the campaign director of Reproductive Justice okay. at Moms Rising. And I work on a myriad of issues. But in particular, I work on issues around abortion access and creating access for abortion for all people in the nation. So what have you all been doing as you've been here at Nedroos Nation? What have you been able to accomplish? We've been doing all the things. We had a mom and parent and caregiver caucus this morning where we all shared our care stories. Everybody has a care story. Everybody's either needed care or giving care. And so we shared those and then we turned our stories into action, heading toward that revolution in the care infrastructure that we all need. And then we also have been on panels, we've been on Radio Row, we've been doing all the things. What about you? 
Um, we've been meeting with people personally. It's really good to like interact with people on a on a person-to-person uh, -person level because a lot of our work is online. We do a lot of digital organizing. And so this has just been a great opportunity for us to just be in community with people, hear their thoughts, and like just, you know, know that we're all on the same page in the same fight. And it's just been really affirming. How did the idea come about to, to organize moms in particular? It was an idea that so many people have had. Being a mom is a greater predictor of wage and hiring discrimination than gender, and BIPOC moms experience compounded discrimination to the extent that Latina moms earn just 46 cents to a white dad's dollar and black moms just 54 cents to a white dad's dollar. So moms have come together across the country, across communities, to say, make it stop. It doesn't have to be this way. We can do better as a country. And so the idea came not from one person, but from one person talking to another person, just like Jada said, being in community, sharing our stories, saying, oh my gosh, when this many people are having the same types of struggles at the same time, we don't have an epidemic of personal failures. It's not our mm -hmm. fault that we can't make it work. We need structural changes, national structural changes. And that's how Moms Rising was born and is rising. Well, and, and now that we also know now that in most households these days, moms, it used to be the other way around during Leave it to Beaver era, but that's, we're beyond that now. Moms are the major breadwinners yep. and the heads of households in most families now, aren't they? I would say not even on just a financial level, but uh, mothers and caregivers and maternal figures are mm -hmm. the overarching just leaders of families, um, not even just households, not even the people that are only in their households, but uh, mothers are the leaders of communities, families, um, they're the leaders in schools, and so on and so forth, so yes. And I note you also said maternal figures, because when we talk about moms, those just, uh, that does not that doesn't exclude people who are non-biological mothers, right? right? Yes. Yeah. We also like to be inclusive and use language like caregiver, right. uh, maternal figures, and so on and so forth, so yes. Yeah. You mentioned your work in terms of, of abortion access and yeah. reproductive rights. I guess there's a, a wellspring of movement yeah, around absolutely. that. Those of us who were always involved in the Roe movement for years predicted this, but no, it's like people didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. The sky's falling. And then it, Dobbs actually happened. Yeah. And now people, every I think every election, and it's been mostly local ones, mm -hmm. where that has been an issue, moms, use your language, have won. Yeah. I think that um, when we saw SB8 pass in Texas, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. people couldn't believe that that actually happened. That is actually what jumps set, that would made everything jump off yeah. so when we saw <laughs> when we saw um Dobbs happen folks in texas like me i'm i'm based in houston texas we already saw it coming okay. and um i'm actually you know a little bit grateful to the movement because now everybody is you know kind of catching up to what we already knew mm -hmm. was going to happen as activists and advocates we saw uh, attacks on abortion trans rights youth um Trans youth rights, sorry, um, healthcare, and all of the you know other issues that we work on, we saw all of that coming, and so um, yes, yeah, you know, although I'm grateful that people are finally catching up, and there's a lot of activism and education going around abortion access. Um, there's a ton of work to do, um, and specifically, we want to make sure that we highlight and center people of color, especially women of color, immigrant women, people. Um, 
who live in border communities as well, um, who are susceptible and very vulnerable to these attacks on health care and abortion access. You live in Texas? I live in Houston, Texas. Okay, so yeah. we're going to keep you in our prayers. <laughs> yes. Where do you live? I live in Washington State, which is one of the states that is accepting people from other states to provide the full spectrum of health care services. Okay. But I work across the nation, and I think I've been to seven states in the last month. So we're working on making sure that everyone, every single person has access to the health care they need, including the full suite of reproductive health care. Everyone has access to the ability to thrive. And so that means we work on things like access to abortion care. And one thing that people don't realize is that six in ten people who need and have abortions are already moms. This is very much a mom issue. So when people are surprised about seeing, you know, purple states rise up and protect abortion access, we are not surprised because we know that when we're talking about bodily autonomy, being able to decide if, when, and how many children to have, that that crosses partisan lines, that crosses right. family lines. And so that is a key policy for us. So is affordable childcare, paid family medical leave, youth justice, actually making some justice out of our unjust criminal justice system. All of those things are top policies for moms and for moms rising. Yeah, uh, and are you all also registering voters and doing voter education and all that kind of stuff as well? We definitely work hard to get out the mom vote. There are 76 million mom voters in the United States of America. Wow. So it is not surprising that the far right right now is targeting mom voters. And so we are standing up so? also. What, 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 what oh my say? goodness. We have a horrible, awful, very bad situation with the moms against liberty who are a very small, very vocal, well-funded, right-wing extremist group that the Southern Poverty Law Center just rightly called a hate group mm. and they are saying that they are speaking for moms we are here to say they are not that yeah. is not us in fact we had a billboard circling their recent convening and it said stop embarrassing us <laughs> so <laughs> stop they, embarrassing the real moms of America so when you say they are real give me an example what are some of the things they're saying that, that are out of control oh who are sparking the book ban, saying that we right, can't okay, treat, right, right. teach accurate history, saying that other people need to define who we can love. We need the freedom to be able to learn accurate history so we don't repeat history's errors. We need the freedom to be able to love who we love. We need the freedom to be able to do what we want with our bodies. We need to be able for our children to learn and thrive. And they are against all of that. And so it is awful, and we are the antidote. <laughs> Well, and it, not not to mention that when we talk in terms of you know the the ratio of affirmative action, the moms community benefited from that as well. People, some people think, well, that's just a, a black thing, but affirmative action was about all diversity. And if you aren't, aren't allowing people, including moms, to go to colleges and universities to better themselves and come up, then you know what are you doing there too? You're essentially stopping an entire generation from learning and cultivating their own life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're essentially like blocking people and it's intentional. Yep. You know, it's intentional for it to be that way. They don't want to see a group of people of color, black people, black youth, Latino youth. They don't want to see those people, right. Right. you know, succeed. At the end of the day, all of this is rooted in anti-blackness and white right. supremacy. Yeah. Um, and so it's very intentional that they would 
do those kinds of things. And it's like I said, it's no surprise to us, but right. it's good to see folks waking up mm-hmm. and seeing that this is actually happening in real time and we have to act right now. That's Finally right. Waking up. How can people keep up with Moms Rising? What's your website? www.momsrising.org. We're also okay. at Moms Rising on all the places. All the places. And we're Mamas con Boder in Espanol on all the places. Okay, as well. wonderful. One. Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, am I You pronounced? got it, yes. Okay. Jarju? Yes. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Senegal? Yes. So you know I knew that, did you? <laughs> yep. Oh, Sajay Fo Kwame Nkrumah. I always quote him that it's very important. The, the leader of the independence movement in Ghana, the first president of Ghana, said that you determine a people's revolutionary awareness by the political maturity of his women. Mm-hmm. Look that up. You always hear mm-hmm. it. So what you all doing is very important. Well, thank yes. you. Thank, thank you for joining you. us. Thank Appreciate you. you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.